Hey guys, welcome to Hope It Helps. Today's guest has built her career working as an occupational therapist, supporting patients of all ages and medical conditions for many years. Two years ago, after experiencing a difficult breakup herself, she began working with a relationship coach and was amazed by how much she learned and the impact it had on her own life. After going through that experience, she wanted to share her learnings with the world to help support other people in their own relationships, which inspired her to becoming a relationship coach herself. She has always been passionate about mindfulness and building communities, and after recently moving to the UAE, she created Wake Up Abu Dhabi, which is a community where people can come together to meditate, engage in meaningful conversations, and develop deeper connections with one another. During this episode, we discussed what it means to be an occupational therapist. She shares with us her journey of transformation to becoming a relationship coach, and we talk about the importance of self-love and finding yourself so that you can bring that into the world and create the relationships you desire. And if you'd like to find out more about her coaching, her experience, or you would like to get in touch with her directly, you can just go to her website at mayancoaching.com. From working as an occupational therapist to a relationship coach, her philosophy has always been to enable people to live life to the fullest. She has helped both her patients and her clients in their journey of healing and completely change their lives. And as she says, the key to finding our purpose in life starts with first finding ourselves. Please welcome to the show, the wonderful Miss May Yan. Hi, Khalid. Thank you for having me here. I'm really excited to speak with you. Thank you for coming on. I really appreciate your time. Uh, so May, I wanted to start. So you recently uh, moved to the UAE about a few months back and you grew up in DC. So why don't you walk us through what made you move to the UAE and, you know, what's the motivation for coming here? Yeah, so it's pretty simple. Um, my partner's job took him here. And so I followed along um, and I have a career of my own. So I'm trying to get that started as well as an occupational therapist here. Yeah. Um, and you are you currently working as well with the Abu Dhabi Health Authority as an occupational therapist? I am trying to get started. Uh, it's been a little bit hard with COVID-19. Um, but I was originally hired to work in the local economy here as an OT. Yeah. As an OT. Yeah. Okay. So for those of us who don't know, myself included, uh, what is what is an occupational therapist? What is you know what does that role entail, and how does that differ from other types of therapies? Yeah, that is such a big question because most people, even in the U.S., don't really know what occupational therapy or OT is. And um, yeah, so the way to describe it um, is that it's basically a profession, a healthcare profession that helps people um, maximize their quality of life through, um, you know, a use of holistic methods. So we are looking at the patient's physical uh, abilities, their mental abilities, their cognitive abilities, emotional abilities. It's really looking at the person as a whole and seeing what skills we can teach them um, so that we can help them maximize their health and well-being. Okay. Interesting. So, for example, let's say I'm a potential client or a patient. Uh, what what are the typical maybe reasons that I would come to an occupational therapist for rather than maybe a different different type of therapist? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so OT really spans so many different um, settings. So I've worked in a variety of settings myself. Um, I've worked in education. I've worked in the school system with children as young as three, um, up to high school age, um, helping them um, in the special education department with 
getting um, their needs met so that they are able to participate more fully in their educational curriculum. I've also spent a lot of time working um, as a neurological OT, working with people with um, neurological conditions. So um, anywhere from brain injury to um, stroke to multiple sclerosis, uh, you name it. Um, I've worked at a comprehensive rehab center in DC um, and also in Baltimore, just focusing on neurological injuries. Um, so, and I've also worked with patients that have orthopedic injuries. So say you injured your arm or your hand in some way, um, we can help with that as well. Um, and I've also worked in uh, the nursing home in the US. So I've worked with people that are um, elderly and um, you know, transitioning um, towards the end of their life um, and trying to maximize their ability to function in that environment um, in the nursing home. So doing basic things like teaching them how to address themselves after an injury or some sort of medical condition or how to go to the bathroom again. Um, like literally walking and doing all the steps that <laughs> that entails. Um, yeah, so like literally I've worked with people from as young as age three to 100 in my career. So it's such a vast and diverse field. So it's really hard to pinpoint what OT looks like, but it's, yeah, I think it's, that's what makes it such a unique profession. Yeah, it sounds like it covers quite a wide spectrum of not only cases, but also, you know, ranges of age mm -hmm. and, you know, different people at different places can seem to can seem to be able to benefit from it as well. Exactly. Interesting. Uh, you mentioned the neurological part, which I'm I find neuroscience and anything with the brain to be fascinating because the power of the brain always blows my mind. And the more I learn, I'm just like, oh, wow, I can do that, too. And you can do that as well. It's pretty crazy. So. From your experience, you've worked, you know, across many different, you know, injuries and cases and so on. Which, I guess, for you, do you find the most enjoyable, and which is the most challenging? Hmm. You know, enjoyable is hard to answer because I think with different um, diagnoses and different um, areas that we're trying to work on with a patient, um, it's it's so variable. And I find uh, working with children is very unique and fun in its own way because you use play as the therapy model. Uh, whereas working with older adults, I get to learn a lot about um, their life and, and see things from a way different point of view. And, and that's also enjoyable in its own way. And working with families too, in the context of whether it's their child or it's their elder loved one. Um, so all of it's been really, really fascinating for me. Um, as far as your other question about, um, can you say that one more time? Yeah, which do you find uh, the most the challenging? Most challenging. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, I would say brain injury is probably the most challenging just because when it comes to having a brain injury, especially a traumatic one, say you were in a car accident or a motorbike accident, um, you don't really know um, how that person is going to come out of it. And you don't necessarily know what to expect um, per se on a day-to-day -day basis. But like as you get to know the person, and also if you study brain injury and the, the model of recovery, you get to understand um, the different levels that the patient may progress through. But um, I think that there's um, issues with behavior that may be really challenging to manage, like someone being very impulsive or doing things that are unsafe. That's that's, um, I would say, the most challenging, but 
is also an area where it's the most rewarding because if you can partner with that patient and especially their family members and their caregivers to um, help that person get back a sense of who they are and um, improve their ability to function in their life. I mean, that's, that's the whole difference that you can make. Yeah. So it sounds like the biggest issue or the biggest challenge with the brain injuries is that it's hard to determine that baseline. You don't know where each patient you're going to have to start from to start them on that, you know, journey of like recovery and progress. Yeah. And and you don't really know how far you can take them, but but that's but that's also the beauty of it too because we we work with um them hand in hand and their family to get them to as the highest possible level we can. Yeah. Is it do you find it challenging sometimes having to manage that relationship with uh, the family because, you know, some people might be impatient or, you know, they just want their, their loved one to get as better as fast as they can, but you kind of have to explain to them, guys, this is going to take some time. So you might have to be a bit patient with that. Yeah, absolutely. You hit the nail on the head. I mean, that's uh, one of the common challenges that we have in working with families um, and being able to partner with them is, is such like a strong um, tool that we have you know, being a therapist, how can we manage our relationship with the family so we can, um, you know, uh, put our best foot forward to help the patient, you know, but everything is always in the context of the patient, their family, their culture, their values. And, and it's been so unique working in OT because we meet people from all walks of life and all different places in the world. Yeah. So I guess the next question should be, how did you get into all of this? Have you always been passionate about like med the medical field and you know therapy in particular or walk us through how you got into it? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Um, so some people may know that I've actually started out in the medical profession by going to medical school. Um, and then I realized that it wasn't really for me, that I was really yearning to do something that was more holistic and that would also allow me to have more balance in my own life in my career. And so that's how I ended up um, re-exploring the healthcare professions. And I found OT and I realized, oh, wow, the philosophy of OT totally aligns with who I am. Um, and um, being able to treat the mind, body, the soul, the spirit all at once, you know, I think, I think that's exactly what drew me to it. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned an interesting point about that you left the medical, uh, I guess, medical school because it wasn't a holistic approach. And it's funny because my younger brother's right now in med school too. So we always have these kind of conversations and he's always so like medicine-based and very, you know, theory. But when he, I think, the I personally think the holistic approach is, I'm not a doctor, but I just think it has a better effect in the long term because I think you can cure someone to a certain point, but if you're not taking into account, you know, their emotional well-being, their, you know, how they're physically feeling as well. There's so many other factors that play into it in the long term. Yeah, yeah. I think OT so much focuses on the person's quality of life and um, and everyone sees their quality of life in a different way. And so it's, it's, a, it's a broader lens for sure. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the best way to describe it, a broader lens. So what are some of the, I guess typical maybe techniques or practices that you would use i know it's very subjective from you know patient to patient and depending on you know whatever their whatever their issue is whatever they're they're facing but could you give us an idea of maybe just some of the tools that you like to use in your practice yeah i mean just um as an ot practitioner we always are asking the patient like what are your goals and also taking into account the family what do they envision the person being able to do again so we always look at their um 
function and where they are right now, what skills they have right now, what, where they want to be and how, where's the gap? What can we do to help them, whether it's um, the skills that we're trying to work on or it's a matter of adapting the environment or adapting the people in their life, um, maybe adapting that person's role in the home or in the workplace. Um, so there's so many levels um, that we can work on when it comes to to rehabbing that person. Yeah. Uh, do you find it a bit of a challenge defining what the patient's goals might be and the family might have their own kind of goals too? I can, I can see how there might be some discrepancies in that. Definitely. Um, yeah, sometimes um, I think we deal with the reality of the situation, just, um, you know, educating the family is a huge piece of our intervention. So to make sure that they understand um, the prognosis and what's possible and yet still trying to maintain hopefulness and, and meaning for them and doing things that the family values as well, because that's at the end of the day, what, what they're going to care about and what they want to see. So we have to be really be, in service of the client and take ourselves out of it, which, you know, is, is an ongoing um, process. Yeah, and I can totally imagine. Um, you, I saw that you were pretty, one of the tools that you use is mindfulness and meditation. And meditation is something I've been doing for years. So mm. I know I always preach like everyone should be <laughs> meditating. If you can, yeah. or if you'd like to, I think it's incredible. So, but everyone seems to have a different, perception or idea of what meditation is like i've spoken to some people and they're like oh i tried meditation and it didn't work but i'm like what were you trying to achieve with the meditation like what's what was the goal that we were trying to achieve and some people are like oh no i don't want to think about anything so how would you describe in your own words what is meditation and what is i guess the purpose of meditation yeah so the definition of meditation that i like to give to people when i'm giving any sort of talk or seminar is John Kabat-Zinn's um, definition. It's about paying attention to the present moment um, without judgment. And, and that's just kind of a good way to capture, you know, kind of the intention of meditation, to be able to observe skillfully and, and try to hold space for yourself. And I see meditation as a way to connect deeper with yourself and to, to know yourself better so that um, you can take care of yourself better ultimately. Um, and when you can take care of yourself better, you're in a much better position to have healthier relationships. Yeah, and I totally agree. Um, like, for example, I can, it's a noticeable difference in my daily life on the days that I have meditated and the days that I don't. You know, when I do, I'm so much more calm, clear headed. My emotions aren't, you know, all over the place. I can seem to manage them a bit better. So what are some of the meditation, I guess, practices or tools that you use? What, what kind of meditation do you like to do for yourself? Yeah. So for the past decade, I've been practicing mostly in the tradition of Thich Nhat Hanh. He's a Vietnamese Zen Buddhist master. Um, and he's based in um, a place called Plum Village, which is a monastery in France. Um, but he has practice centers all over the U.S. Um, so I've been um, practicing in his tradition for a while now. However, I have also um, just been very active in the community um, for the last decade and, and really tried different types of meditation as well. Um, so I guess I could share some of my teachers. I think um, Dr. John Kabat-Zinn um, is, is a big one. Sharon Salzberg, Tara Brock. 
Um, yeah, I would say those are some of the people that I follow still. And um, as far as like techniques and tools, um, you know, I think I would say I, I use the breath, you know, as, as the base of everything, as the anchor to the present moment. Um, that's what I always come back to. Um, and um, yeah, so using some sort of mantra or gatha around the breath to, to focus and come back. And then I think loving kindness and compassion are some really big themes in um, the meditation practice that I do and share with other people, you know, because it, it is about this non-judgmental observing of yourself at the same time. What qualities can we invite to that observation, right? How can we be more kind to ourselves, more forgiving, more compassionate, you know, I think, um, we're just really hard on ourselves, uh, and yeah, and, for sure. and and part of meditation is really learning how to tune into the stories that we have about ourselves, and 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 having a, a curiosity about those stories to really find out who am I at my core um, without these crazy stories that we come up with. Yeah, what kind of per who am I really without their narratives that I've maybe created for myself or told myself my whole life? Exactly. Exactly. How can we get yeah. to our true self? True self. Exactly. So it's interesting that I think meditation over the last maybe let's say five to 10 years has really like blown up and it's now being used not just for people at home, even in offices and, you know, all over the world. There's meditation centers now. So it's like a very yeah. hot topic and mindfulness. So I'm curious from your perspective, why do you think it's all of a sudden become such a big deal? Because if you look back, maybe before that maybe 20 years ago meditation was all the i guess hippie stuff yeah. people didn't really you know believe in it and so on so what do you think caused such a big change hmm, that's a great question um yeah because even when i was in grad school studying occupational therapy um you know i, I studied it you know from a thesis perspective like how how i could um do a research study on it and then i, I started diving into the literature and i also saw the same thing like mindfulness is just blowing up so why is that? Um, I think people realize the value of mindfulness in, in um, our ability to cultivate inner peace and calm. I think, especially in American and Western society, everyone seems to have fallen into this notion of like, we gotta be the best, we gotta be number one, we gotta be most successful. And we also realize how much um, how many problems that come up, come along with that, you know, um, for our emotional health, our physical health, our, our just our whole well-being, I think, has has been really challenged because of those stories that we told ourselves about what we need to, to get ahead in life. And so mindfulness is almost like the, the antidote or, you know, the counterculture revolution to that, um, which I think is great that we can start looking at ourselves more holistically and and. I like to think about it as um, a focus on human being instead of human doing. Ooh, I love that. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I haven't heard that before. I really like it. Yeah. I'm going to be using that one for sure. <laughs> um, what do you think about the, I guess, all these meditation apps and stuff that have come up with the last few years? Have you tried any yourself? Because it's, although I've used them, 
they serve their purpose about just getting me into meditation and what mindfulness is. I don't use them anymore. I have a different practice. But what's your take on the apps? Do you think they're useful? Is it a good entry point? Or do you think it's better to stick to something a bit more traditional like what you do that has like a mantra and just more about the breath and so on? Yeah, you know, I think that however we can make mindfulness and meditation more accessible to people, I'm all for that, you know, because um, everyone has a different way of learning. Um, and so I encourage people to try different ways of learning, whether it is sitting with another person and trying to um, engage in mindfulness practice that way, or whether it's doing um, something in action, whether it's yoga or um, something else, like a more physical aspect. I mean, meditation comes in so many forms. And so I personally, I haven't tried a lot of the apps just because I've been so blessed to, to live in an area in the Washington, D.C. area um, that has some of the world's best meditation teachers right at our fingertips. So I was always um, able to go to one-on-one sessions or, or sanghas. Um, and so I think if apps are kind of like, um, you know, available to people, they, I encourage them to try it. <laughs> yeah. No, I totally agree. I always tell people, because sometimes they tell me it didn't work. Yeah. I didn't get what I wanted out of it. I'm like, just try a different app, try a different thing. I think meditation is a very subjective and personal thing. Having the right teacher, that right oh, sound, yeah. the right content that resonates with you. So find whatever you like or whatever you think works for you. Exactly. And I'm always open to learning too. So even though I've stuck with Thich Nhat Hanh's tradition for a long time, I always wonder like, is anyone else going to draw my attention? Because I, I would love, love Thich <laughs> Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I totally agree. Um, you also have created recently, I believe, a meditate or you're trying to build a meditation community called Wake Up Abu Dhabi, which I thought was fantastic because <laughs> I don't think there's many, much of that here, to be honest. So why don't you give us just some backstory about what, is, what Wake Up Abu Dhabi is and what's your vision for it? Yeah. So I started Wake Up Abu Dhabi because I wanted to build a community where I can connect with other people. Um, on a deeper level, you know, um, and actually Ab Wake Up Abu Dhabi is not necessarily the most original idea because prior to me living here, I'm moving to the UAE, I um, was the facilitator and I started Wake Up um, DC, so in Washington, DC, oh, my okay. hometown. Okay, awesome. Yeah, so, so Wake Up is just a, a group of young people that are um, practicing together meditation, mindfulness, and trying to understand themselves and how to be, you know, engaged community members as well. Um, and so I'm hoping to create that community here. And I feel that for me, Wake Up or any of the meditation groups that I was ever a part of, um, it was always a space where I could be vulnerable with other people and, and to go deeper into those conversations of the heart and of the soul. And and I was looking for that when I first came here and, and I was like, you know what, let me just create it. Like, why not just give it a shot, see what happens. And it's been really, really awesome because I guess with COVID happening at this time, I wasn't able to formally hold a, a physical group in, in the yoga studio that um, I, we originally wanted to do it in. Um, but instead it's been taken online and I, I guess since mid-March, I've had people from all corners of the world join. So it's, it's wake up Abu Dhabi and beyond at this point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, oh, that's awesome. Um, 
I personally, because you mentioned something interesting, I personally haven't done any group meditation things in, mm. before. For me personally, meditation is a very, it's a very me kind of thing. You know, I don't need to share it with people. I, I'm just not interested. I think I like to take my own time and, you know, do it myself. But I'm curious to hear from you what's, is it a different experience? Because I think it would be meditating with people and then when you meditate alone. What, how has your experience been with that? Yeah, I find that meditating with other people is so incredibly powerful. We talk about the, the collective energy of mindfulness that we can cultivate when we are together. And I think the, the sharing piece is so big for me. Um, and it's, it's kind of one of my favorite parts about being in a community or what we call Sangha is that we're able to share what's on our heart and our mind, what's going on in our daily life experience, what came up during meditation today, um, what came up as a result of the reading that we did today, and, and just, just put that out there and, and, and kind of leave it there. And we have this really sacred space where we can share and learn from each other's experience. And I think the biggest thing is connecting to our humanity and our uh, the, the idea that we are that we inter are that um, that we are not separate from one another in that and I think there's so much comfort in that and remembering that yeah so it sounds like uh, the meditation the group meditations kind of open the door to making you be able to not only relate to other people but give people a, a space to be vulnerable because we're all here for the same reason for the same purpose so on some level we have similar beliefs so this is the space for us to you know share those with each other yeah absolutely yeah oh that's awesome that's really interesting i might have to try one out <laughs> sometime when, when i can i'll come down i'll check them out i'd like to i'd like to see how that goes um i wanted to get your take on because you're an occupational therapist and you understand, you know, the neurology of the brain and so on. So I was thinking, I've been doing a lot of reading during this time with COVID and everything. And it's interesting how it's affected people, you know, from a mental health standpoint and also in terms of like their relationships as well. So I'm curious from what you've seen and, you know, the people you've spoken to in your experience, how do you think it's affected people from, I guess, a neurological aspect first, and then we can uh, get into the relationship part after that? Yeah, I would say on a neurological level, I think we're missing a lot of sensory experiences that we're used to. And I'm going to probably sound like an OT nerd right now. What does that mean? Sensory experience, right? <laughs> um, but like here in the UAE with the beaches closed, I mean, that's a, um, a, you know, a big aspect of what I love about living here that I was able to go out to the beach and, and walk in the sand and touch the water. And uh, something as simple as that, like, or, or putting my feet in the grass, you know, those sensory experiences are, are not there. So in some ways, we're kind of sensory deprived, we're kind of locked away in our homes and not even really able to enjoy the sunlight the same way. Um, and the outdoors. And I think like, um, I think humans have a need to be connected to nature, or at least, you know, I find that a lot of people do. Um, and they find comfort and um, an ability to regulate themselves, their emotions, their physical well-being through being in nature and through being with other people. So I think it's it's been a challenge um, for us to to find other ways to kind of substitute for all that we don't have access to right now in our environment. Um, yeah. So it's a call to be creative and, and work with what we have for sure. Yeah, because um, the interesting part uh, but you 
I never took into account the sensory perception aspect because the way I was thinking about it purely from a as people were social creatures so yeah. we need human connection we need human contact you know that gives us I don't know what the word is if it's an energy or a feeling that we need as a species to that's what we thrive off that's what we do but also at the same time during covid it seems that a lot of people have developed closer relationships despite not having that physical contact because of what the situation was but i like to play devil's advocate so i'm like are you close to me now because you don't have there's like no distractions and there's no other people around (laughs) and now you want to talk or is it is this a genuine thing that's going to carry through what do you think Hmm. yeah no i think covid19 has presented an opportunity for people to reconnect with people um that they may not have talked to or um to maybe reevaluate their values um and like what they care about in life in general you know like what, what does it come down to? And I think it does come down to our connections, our relationships, the people we care about. Um, so I'm looking at it from maybe a, a positive point of view, you know, um, reconnecting with other people and, and maybe finding ways to move forward where we can keep, keep that value in mind. Yeah. So just, you know, reflecting on the relationships you have and I guess reflecting on yourself too. I know for me personally, I've gone through a lot of like deep thoughts and really reflection on you know what I think about life and so many different things so for me it's been it has been positive but I know for others it might not necessarily have been but I've the question I ask myself is I don't know why or I don't understand why other people might have struggled more with that like reflection and taking time to you know reflect on everything yeah I mean I um I think it might be hard for some people right now because of the loneliness and isolation that it might have caused, um, especially if they're living by themselves. I, I, I do not live by myself, so I think that would be really challenging um, to not have that. Um, and, and so, yeah, th- those people might be more vulnerable right now and um, having more mental health issues. And so, yeah, mental health is, I mean, I, I guess whatever issues people might have had without COVID-19, you know, they're more pronounced now. Yeah, it just magnified them because yeah. you have nothing else to do but think. Yeah, <laughs> you just got time to be think. alone with your thoughts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, so I wanted to—I was curious because you're also a relationship and breakup coach, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And when I saw that, my like eyes were like, "Oh yeah, that's what this is." What I like to talk about. I love it. Um, <laughs> so. How I guess, how did you get into coaching? And we'll get to the other question after, but let's start with how did you get into coaching? Yeah, so it starts with my own personal journey and experiencing a breakup about two years ago. Um, yeah, I went through a really, really, really tough breakup. I don't think I could have or seen that happening. And um, I went through a really tough time emotionally and mentally. And I really... Um, took that as a lesson in in self-love, um, which I didn't expect either. You know, I, I realized that um, in that relationship, I wasn't really paying attention to as cautiously as I thought to my own needs, to my own values, what I really care about. And ultimately, I got lost. And in the aftermath of the breakup, it was me picking up the pieces. And I really thought I was... Um, trying to build back the person I was 
the happy person that I was in the past before the relationship. But what I ultimately found was that I was building a new me, a better May, um, which I had no idea was possible. I, I mean, honestly, I thank God, the universe for the breakup, because it is an integral part of who I am today. Um, and, and so I actually ended up uh, working with a relationship coach myself for many, many months. And um, I guess that inspired me to, to really share what be able to share what I learned with other people because I, I was just amazed at how much I learned in that coaching uh, relationship. And I was like, okay, this information needs to be out there. Like, why were we not educated on relationships? Um, and, and so now for me, it's that's kind of my, my journey, my role um, as a relationship coach. I would like to be able to share the lessons I learned with other people and to help make other people's relationships better, you know, starting with themselves. I think self-love is, is kind of my um, main principle or foundation that I like to work with women and men on, um, whether they're in a relationship already or if they're already single. If, if we can catch you when you're single, that's great. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, um, it's, it's a lot easier to work on then, I think. Sure. You okay? So many things to ask about. Uh, first of all, first of all, uh, you mentioned something that um, I've noticed a lot in my own relationships and with a lot of other people too, which is the point that you got lost in the relationship. And I don't understand. I still don't have an answer for this, so I'm curious to hear what you think. Why is it a very common theme that people tend to get lost in relationships and forget about, you know, taking care of themselves and their needs and who they are and what they need for themselves. Yeah, I guess I can share that from my own experience. I, I didn't really think that I was lost. Like if you had asked me in that relationship, was I lost? I, I would be like, what are you talking about? Like th that's not the words I would use to describe where I was. And it wasn't until the breakup that I looked back and I'm like, oh yeah, I was lost. <laughs> you know, I, I, I lost my way, <laughs> yeah. you know? For sure, and for I sure. Think and that goes back to narratives, right? What stories have we told ourselves or what stories have we um, unconsciously adapted because of our upbringing and our life experiences that cause us to believe, oh, this is normal. This is okay. You're meant to, you know, work hard in relationships, you know? And I think that was the, the narrative that I believed in and I, which I still believe in today, but I realized what, was the biggest problem in that relationship was that it was imbalanced. You know, I was putting much more in than what I um, thought I should have been doing and, and getting out of it, you know, like it should be, you know, a mutual give and take. Um, and it just wasn't that. And it, and I guess, I think I just grew up with a mindset of like, yeah, working hard at everything in life and, and being able to, to be successful as long as I worked hard. Right. And, I, and yeah. I think that a lot of people, especially in immigrant families, believe that um, I'm Chinese American and, and that's kind of the way I grew up. And I realized that, you know, I think that's that narrative has a good intention, but it took me away from who I really am. Yeah. And I'm, I resonate with that so much that I've always or I've had the belief that hard work, if I just work hard at whatever it might be, a relationship, a job. I will get the outcome that I, I don't know if the word is deserve or expect. I don't know which one is, is the right word. But, you know, 
as you learn and you know as i've learned in life that's just because you work hard sometimes you know things just don't work out that's the reality of how it goes sometimes uh and it's a difficult pill to swallow because you invest so much you know like mentally emotionally and when it doesn't work out that's i think that's the hardest part about any i guess relationship yeah. the time invested and the emotional energy invested into it yeah and i would say um to answer that you know about the emotions and the time and energy that you invested that it's it's not lost absolutely not like that's one of the most important lessons i learned that how could i transform all that hurt and pain and suffering um and make meaning of it i mean i know that might sound kind of cheesy but like literally i think i was at the lowest point in my life uh, thus far like just um energy um wise and just like just mood and everything everything was down in the dumps and and like i said i, I think it was so wonderful like this wonderful kind of magical experience i mean i say that now but like at the time it it felt awful but now it's like wait a minute like i i can't believe that i picked up each of those pieces and that i was able to put myself back together um and so i definitely think that and i think it was because of my persistence maybe it go, goes back to that narrative that we're talking about like if i work hard i can get out of this and and maybe, <laughs> maybe isn't it ironic right i use that mindset to get myself you know pick myself back up but but it, it yeah, did yeah. work you know yeah i think you mentioned something really important to remember is that after any breakup or any relationship that time and that emotional investment wasn't lost because like like you said when you're in the moment it's a disaster and the whole world's crashing down and you know there's no sunlight at the end of the tunnel it's just dark 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 but you know after some time when you can take the time to reflect back you can understand you get and think a new perspective on the relationship on what was actually going on and where you were and what you needed and it's a lesson for you for your next relationship but the thing is is that how sometimes if you were really hurt in the past you don't want to carry that over into another relationship or like let that jade how you love and how you act and all that kind of thing so what would you say to people who you know still carry that pain with them moving on you know when they're trying to move on to like another relationship yeah i mean i think um ideally if you could try to work on yourself take that time to really listen um and shine the light of awareness on those sufferings those wounds that you have um bring them to light right and and this is kind of like a meditation like can you see what's going on there what is that pain and what is it that i can do to give myself what i need um because i think it's potentially dangerous to enter a relationship with with all these unresolved wounds. And and that's not to say that we don't. I mean, we're always kind of a work in progress. Um but I do believe in taking that time to figure yourself out. Um because like I said before, like when you have that really strong foundation in self-love, um it it just makes it easier for you hopefully to to be in relationships again. Yeah. So, what would you say to, you know, that old saying that you need to do you believe that you have to love yourself first before you can love someone else or is that just a cliche that people like to say what do you think yeah i i mean i think i like half believe that but then after 
going through my breakup um, and that recovery period, I, I think it's absolutely the foundation. I think if anything, that's what I learned from coaching and all the work that I've done. Um, yeah, where, where to even begin with that? Self-love is maybe it's a concept that's not really familiar to a lot of people. Uh, maybe it's getting more popular these days. Um, I know that growing up, I, I don't think I really even heard that word very much. Um, but it's really, yeah, caught on um, for me in my own spiritual journey. And um, yeah, I realized that to have a sustainable ability to love someone else, we have to be able to love all the parts of ourselves. And I realized that there are all these parts that I um, just kind of wasn't even aware of. I guess you can say my shadows, you know, the parts that I um, hadn't really examined yet about myself, um, the parts that I didn't take the time to to look at and pay attention to and realize, oh, I need to also accept and embrace those parts, even if they are kind of, you know, dark. <laughs> um, yeah, and once I can do that, I find that it's, it, it gives me the ability to work on those parts consciously. How can I um, learn to work with those fears and and, and free myself um, from, from mm. the limits of those fears. Um, and I think overall, that just really helps us to create the life that we want um, as, as human beings. Yeah. What is the, I guess, what are the biggest lessons that you took from that relationship that, that you were talking about? Like when you reflect back, you know, when you had some time to, you know, reflect and think about what happened and every, all those things. What are the biggest lessons that you learned, like for me as yourself that now that you carry through to, I guess, any other relationship? Yeah, um, absolutely. So learning to um, have boundaries um, for myself, like recognizing what I can tolerate and what I won't tolerate. Um, remembering what I value and care about and, and honoring those those values and not letting that slip away. Um, and recognizing how to compromise too, because it's never going to be, you're never going to be in a relationship with someone that's the exact copy of you. Um, so just yeah, sure. recognizing how much um, you can compromise and um, and just like communication, the you know the foundation of relationships. <laughs> like yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, just like your communication style, like what you value about communication, and um, and then like yeah, your ability to change in the relationship because you want to change, um, not you wanting to change someone else and trying to drag that person along with you. Mm. That's big. Yeah, yeah, that's a big one. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, one thing about relationships that I think sometimes we think about as people is that i am you know how they have that saying like oh she's my other half or he's my other half but um i th you know i think that's a i don't know what i don't know what the word is but it's not the best way to look at it because that way i'm incomplete without someone else you know yeah. what i mean so so what would you, so how would you change that? Because a friend of mine actually explained it to me in a very nice way. It's about two holes. We're both you know two whole people creating a brand new or a third thing together where we both exist as two you know individual people. Yes, together you're not. It's not that you're not my better half or it's not any of that. But 
we don't need each other to complete each other, but we so we complement each other. I think that's the difference. Absolutely. Yeah. No. Um, in my like recovery journey, um, and in doing coaching myself, I realized that um, I became more familiar with this term of co-creation. How are we doing this together, bringing the best of ourselves into the relationship? and able to um, synergize and integrate the best of ourselves together and, and create something totally new. Yeah. Um, one thing about, you know how sometimes, or like at least this is how I see it sometimes, is that I need to, in quotation marks, fix all my issues before I can be available to be in a relationship. But like you mentioned earlier, you're never going to fix everything or address everything that you have. So how do you, so maybe give me some, what would you say to that? How do I get some new perspective, you know, on how to think about that? I'm curious. Yeah. I mean, I think um, it's, it's nice if we can all embrace um, this idea that we're always learning how to love better and we're all on our own separate journey, but um, and how can we, uh, how can we dig deeper, you know, to, to work on ourselves, to take responsibility for our thoughts, our beliefs, our actions, um, so that we can become better, better human beings. Yeah. So how would you like help your clients or how would you explain to other people how to set, how to set boundaries? Because I think that's a very important thing in you know any relationship and something i probably have struggled with like in the past I, i'm not very good at setting those boundaries i'm kind of open and like okay let's do this let's see let's see let's see what happens but i think it's important to have some boundaries because i think it just makes things a lot clearer yeah absolutely um so i i grew up a people pleaser and i i think that just has to do with my chinese american heritage to some degree um, so learning how to uh, set boundaries as a radical act of self-love um, was huge for me. And it's, it's not necessarily natural. And in fact, it might be really uncomfortable for some people. But if we can recognize that when you do that, it's, it's a way to love and honor yourself and also love and honor the other person, um, that that hopefully sets the stage for recognizing, okay, why do we need to do this in the first place? Um, yeah, because at the end of the day, if you don't put that boundary there, um, no one else is going to do it for you because no one else knows your values and your needs as well as you do. And so uh, that's where, you know, we go back to self-love and okay, what is self-love? Lo self-love is knowing your values and needs. And, and that can change over time and that's okay. But being in touch with them and, and being able to express them um, is really important, right? Because people, because we're not able to guess what someone else is thinking or feeling or needing. And that's where communication is a huge part of relationship. I oh, couldn't agree more with so many things <laughs> that you said. Um, the communication part. So let me ask you this question. I believe, me personally, if you have, if there's something bothering you or like there's some unresolved issues, my, I'm the guy that's always like, let's talk. I don't guarantee that this will fix the problem, but at least then two things happen. Number one, you understand what I'm feeling and I know where you're at. And it's, I think, the first step to addressing the issue or, you know, creating like something else but then sometimes you might speak to people and they'll be like 
maybe you shouldn't, you know, mention that, or maybe, you know, you shouldn't say that. So what, what's your, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah. I think when people say things like maybe you shouldn't say that or do that, I, I think that's coming from a place of fear, maybe of hurting someone's feelings or stepping on someone's toes. And of course, there's always um, a level of skill with which we deliver our communication. And hopefully, uh, with good practice, you can become more skillful. Um, and, and, and that, like I said, it takes practice to become more skillful in communicating your needs and, and your feelings. Um, so that's, that's kind of the first step and, and being open to, to making mistakes and being uncomfortable. Um, that's, that's really huge. Um, yeah. And I would say that it's, it's best to get it out there, you know, I mean, cause like I said, you're, we're not meant to read people's minds. Um, and, and yeah, it's, it's just important to be able to verbalize and to, to express what's going on with you, um, because that's information for someone else, um, that's going to help them meet your needs ultimately and, and vice versa, right? How are we, how are we meeting each other's needs? I mean, I think that's like the biggest question when it comes to any relationship. Yeah, yeah. No, I totally, I totally agree. I actually read about this concept recently called the Imago Partner. So what it's, I don't, are you, are you, I don't know if you're familiar yeah, with it. Yeah, I've heard but, of it. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. The really interesting thing for me about that was it gave me a whole new perspective on relationships because I'm the hopeless romantic. I'm like, love will conquer all and love, 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 love. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not, the reality is proven that's not the case. There's a lot more to it. Uh, and it talked about how, it was really interesting, how love is the glue that brings me and you together or binds two people together. And then it talks about something called a conscious relationship. And that's about being fully prepared to make the sacrifices to give your partner what they need and vice versa, which I thought was really interesting because that can also be quite challenging if what they need kind of goes against your values and who you are. But if you want to make this work, it might be something that you have to do. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah, that is a fascinating concept. I mean, I think relationships do come down to that. Like, how can we meet each other's needs, um, but at the same time, honor our different values, right? We might have some values and needs that overlap. Um, and, and I guess throughout navigating, especially like a new relationship, um, you, you kind of have to figure out, well, what, what does bind me to that person? What, what do we share? Um, and hopefully that's, that's a, you know, there's a lot of common ground there to work on uh, together. And, and um, I think that relationships can thrive when there's op opportunities to, be able to see different points of views and different values and, and try to make sense of that. And, and, you know, um, I guess see how you can move forward with that other person given the differences. Yeah. Yeah. So it's about just, you know, like, like you mentioned a couple of times, understanding each other's values and what's important to you, what's important to me. And at what point, how can we learn to, I guess, manage our differences and, you know, make this relationship move forward together. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. When it comes to compromise, I think that's a big one. That's a huge mm -hmm. part. Um, so what what's the advice you give to people about compromise? Is it Does it come down to the core of it is just what are your needs and what are your red lines? Because sometimes you're going to have to, 
like in the word compromise and make you know those adjustments to things that you might not necessarily agree with or be comfortable with so what advice do you typically give to i guess your clients when they you know when it comes to compromise yeah i believe it's a matter of making requests of your partner um that are doable for them you know and and requests can come on a spectrum you know of different ways to honor you know that need or value that you have and so playing around with that you know because um, what you might want um, and what they're able to give, there might be a really big gap, but how can we try to narrow that gap? Um, and, and that's going to be an ongoing conversation back and forth. Like, so uh, what would it look like if I could honor that value? Um, what steps can I take? Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So I think that's a very good point that I hadn't thought about before is that make it something doable. I never, I didn't take into account you know, there's sometimes might be quite a big, as he's correctly said, a big gap, you know, in that. So little doable steps, maybe. And eventually you might be able to come to a place that it's a comfortable level of effort, right. I guess, from both sides. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wanted to come back to the breakup, uh, breakups just for a second, because I think, you know, it's, they're, they're always very difficult from an emotional aspect but i think there's always a missing piece that people aren't you're not paying attention to when you're going through the breakup that might be helpful to them so in your experience and working with your clients what have you found that to be um as far as navigating your breakup it's always going to be hard because there's emotions tied into it and emotions color our world and it creates lots of stories um and i find that people in uh, going through a breakup, uh, come up with the craziest of stories uh, about what their partner <laughs> might be thinking or doing right now um, in the aftermath. Um, and that is totally normal. And so I, I remind them, this is absolutely normal because our brain is so creative. It doesn't like uncertainty. So it's going to try to fill in the gaps because our, our brain is much more comfortable with certainty. So even if that is a crazy story that probably is not true at all. Um, it would rather have that than nothing else. <laughs> um, and yeah, and so I also remind people going through breakup that um, from a neurological standpoint, the areas of the brain that are stimulated or activated during that time are sometimes equivalent to um, the pain that you might physically experience, like when you're um, when you have a broken bone or an injury and i've seen studies that have talked about that so so the pain that you're feeling is very very real and that is normal and so i i tell my clients this because i want them to recognize how um vulnerable of a state that they're in and that they need to take extra care to to um help themselves mentally and i always you know advise them to have a support system a positive support system that can be there for them during that time yeah i think that's a that's a great point about having a, a support system because you know i can speak in my own experience in the toughest times those certain few people like they'll save your life yeah. <laughs> they can re they really can they can help you get through that tough day and just help you see you know a better like things will get better, you know, and it's okay. It sucks in the moment and you're like, yeah, I don't believe you, whatever. It's like, I appreciate it, but like, I don't really believe what exactly. you're saying. But, you know. it's, I mean, it's so hard to have objectivity when you're going through a breakup. And, and that's exactly what you need to surround yourself with, objectivity and, and positivity. 
Yeah, and that's I, t- I totally agree with you. So, in your in your opinion, I'm curious. What do you? Th- what would you say are the main factors or the key things that make a relationship successful? I know relationships are very different, and there's so many different factors to take into account. But if we were going to come up with like, let's say, a formula and like a, a foundational things that need to be in place mm-hmm. for a successful relationship, from your from your experience and your perspective, what would they be? Um, I guess I would say know yourself really well. Um, I think that um, a lot of us have in this day and age have spent our 20s trying to figure out who we are. And hopefully we can get to a point where we're really comfortable or have gone through enough life experience to know what we care about, what we value, what we need in our life, what we want in our life. And to be really intentional about that going forward when it comes to dating or finding your life partner. Um, yeah, because if you're not sure about who you are, um, and that's okay, you know, um, you can express that, you know, um, to your the person that you're dating. Um, but I think it's important to know who you are so that you can come to a place of expressing what you what you really need and want, what you value and what you want going forward. And I, it's, it's okay to like have those wants and needs. I think um, people sometimes have trouble expressing that because for fear of not pleasing the other person, but being in a relationship is not about pleasing the other person necessarily. It's about um, how can you be you and honor who you are and honor who that person is and love them for who they are. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I I personally didn't take into account or I didn't think about the importance that you mentioned about knowing yourself and you also said something very key is being intentional about that and like you said sometimes people might not be comfortable expressing you know their feelings or you know how how they truly feel about a situation or about the person or about the relationship because either comes from a place of fear or from a place of maybe insecurity as well which is which is a very normal thing too um but i think like you said knowing yourself is so crucial so crucial because this helps you i think navigate everything so much easier don't you think yeah and i like uh, how you brought up insecurities and fears because i think um our insecurities and fears are things that we need to work on in that process of learning to love ourselves um so that you know we can come to a place of feeling good about who we are and when we feel good and confident about who we are we're much more um easily able to express ourselves authentically yeah do you think there's a a time and place for i guess communication and being vulnerable or is it something that kind of should be the what's the word i guess default in the relationship or is there a time and place where you should be like okay maybe now is not the time to have this kind of conversation or you know share this specific you know thought what do you think yeah i would say that um you know, people have different comfort levels with vulnerability. Uh, But the earlier that you can be vulnerable in a relationship, I think that gives permission for the other person to reciprocate. And then I think things move along a lot faster when you're able to get on that deeper level and really reveal who you are. And and in turn, that person also revealing themselves as they are. Do you think you can show... I guess your cards are who you are too fast sometimes, or is is that or is that irrelevant? Um, I think you know if you show it early on, like say you're dating someone new, um, 
I think what people are afraid of often is if they show their cards too fast, too soon, that it'll scare the other person away. Exactly. And, and my, I guess, answer to that is, is that the person that you really want to be with? <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great point. That's a really, really great point. Um, something I read about, I think, last year, and it gave me a whole new perspective and way to understand relationships was the the whole concept of the love the love languages uh and how everyone has their own and so on but in my experience this is what i learned i'm like okay i understand mine i understood hers or what she she had but the 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 interesting thing is if you i learned that if you don't get it in the way that you need it Although you're aware of it, as I, I see it, I'm like, okay, I know she does that, and she did that, and she's showing me that way. It's not enough. It's not <laughs> enough. I don't know how to put it into words. Sometimes you need it just in that way. So, what's your thought about the love languages, and do you, is that something that you you know speak with your clients about as well? Yeah, absolutely. This is a very popular topic among some coaching clients. Um, I would say, yeah. I mean, I think the uh, issue you brought up is is universal. Really, um, a lot of people are wondering, well, if if they're doing it a different way than what I prefer, that's not going to fill my cup. And, and so how do we manage that, right? Um, and so it, it is about those inter- incremental making requests of doable steps for the other person to try to do it in a way that you perceive it to matter to you. Um, and that absolutely takes work, right? I mean, from a neurological standpoint, um, it's a lot harder for the brain to do something that it's not familiar with um, so creating a new habit is going to take practice. Um, and, and if it's early enough in the relationship that you realize maybe this person's love language of mine is, is going to be um, the deal breaker, you know, then, then more power to you to, to have that information now and, and know yourself and what you can live with and what you can, cannot live with, you know. Um, but say you are in a long-term relationship uh, or married, um, it's going to come down to what what concrete steps can I do or what requests can I make um, of the other person that are doable um, and that will still fill my cup, you know? Mm, yeah, yeah. I think you that's the perfect analogy, you know, that will that fill my cup, you know, like my cup of what I need and whatever it might be. Um, I think you also had a very interesting point about how the love languages are an indicator for you in no matter what stage of the relationship and that it could also be a deal breaker for you because that's not something I necessarily considered because, but I, now that I think about it, I'm like, yeah, would you, I not, would you, can you be with someone who's so different to you? And I guess it's going to come down to, are they, or are both of you willing to make the compromises to make those adjustments for, for the other person? Yeah. And it's okay. If, if someone has a very different way of communicating. And, and I think even in my last relationship, the one that ended up in the breakup, it was, I just kept thinking that I could change him to, to express his love differently. And, and it's okay to have that optimism and to try, but I, after a certain point, I realized, oh, this really isn't going to change. And, and it really, um, it was hurting me, you know? So I realized I, you know, I, I better, better move on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That's, that coming to that point and to that realization is the hardest yeah. part of everything because you don't want to face it. It's like, it's kind of there, <laughs> you have an idea and then you're like, oh, it's here. Like, ah, shit, I got to look at it now. I got to make a decision. Yeah. Um, 
From the clients that you've coached uh, over the last few years, are there any common themes that seem to be coming like to come up often? Whether it's, or and does it differ between men and women? Yeah, um, you know, I would say what's universal between men and women is that we all have different fears and anxieties that kind of hold us back from being our true and authentic self. And um, again, those are come from our childhood, right? Our childhood, our life experiences, these different narratives that we've collected unconsciously or maybe even consciously. And so it's, it's a really beautiful part of all my clients' journey, whether they're men or women, to be able to peel back and kind of investigate those um, inner critics that they might have or their self-limiting beliefs and, and to watch them let go of that and, and find a more empowering story for them and one that's actually true. Um, you know, I think that's, that's a really beautiful part of learning how to, how to, how to love themselves. Yeah. And cause it's something I think about as well, cause I'm in the future, I'm going to, I'd like to start life coaching as well. So that's why every time I speak to a coach, whatever type of coach it is, I'm so curious of their process and how they think and, you know, cause I like to learn from them. Um, how do you define, I guess, for yourself, cause I guess it's different for yourself and your clients. Like, how do you know for you as the coach that, I have fulfilled my clients' goals or helped them achieve that goal. Do you know, how do you measure, I guess, that success? And are there times where the client might feel that they've achieved success, but you don't see that you have and, you know, vice versa, you might, there might be a difference on, I guess, the perception of the goal or like the success that you're trying to get out of a coaching relationship? Yeah, that's a really good question. So as a coach, we have to honor um, our clients' goals and, and the way that they see their situation. Um, you know, we're trying to hold space for them and guide them along the way to reach their goals, which may actually change along the journey, um, which oftentimes does happen. They realize, oh, wait, at first I was working on this, but then now this has become a priority. Um, and so literally coaching is just an ongoing conversation with that person and trying to meet them where they are and, and help them figure out their best path. And so ultimately, it's, it's always about the client's perception of whether they reach their goal or not. And, and they're the ones that kind of um, are able to, to tell us. Okay, so the client is the, I guess, indicator or their perception of how they're feeling or the progress they've made will give you the answer that, okay, I've, this has been a success because it's been a success. Exactly, yeah. I got, okay, I got you. One thing about coaching, and I've spoken about this a lot um, in the past, is when you're a, a coach, whatever type of coach you are, in my mind, it's almost like, okay, I'm the coach, I'm coaching this person, therefore, I'm not allowed to experience any of the same things that this person might be going through in my own life. And you, and it's because in my head, it's such, a con it's such a contradiction. But of course, we're human beings. So the problems you face are the problems that I would face too. So... How do you take, I guess, the lessons that you teach your clients and how do you start, how do you remember, I guess, remember it's a key word, to apply them into your own relationships and your own life and do those change as, you know, time goes on, as you speak to more people, as you have all these new experiences? Mm. I think one of the important um, things to mention is that um, in the client and coach relationship that we are partners and actually equals in the, in the relationship. And so it's not that the coach is on a higher level, more advanced, whatever, you know, like we are actually there as, as, um, 
a guide and facilitator for their journey. And, and so when we look at the partnership as equals, it, we're honestly learning from each other in, in that coaching conversation and relationship. Yeah, uh, that's something I did not take into account. The, the, and you said it perfectly, that it's an equal relationship. Because uh, in my mind, um, I've always thought I'm like, coach is, I'm going to a coach for help. So therefore, they were, I put them, I guess, subconsciously on a higher, in a, on a higher pedestal or whatever you might want to call it. But I think it's a great point that you mentioned that it's a partnership, number one, and that it's an equal relationship. I think that's that's key. And I didn't consider that before. So thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I never thought of that before. Yeah, even, um, you know, when I started learning about coaching, I realized that it's very different from other professions. Because even as an OT, um, as a healthcare professional, we also see ourselves in that, tend to see ourselves in that relationship based on like, I'm the expert, you're the patient, right? But that's what makes coaching so fascinating, so different, um, because um, the dynamics are different. And, um, and in fact, in coaching, pure coaching, you're not supposed to be giving advice per se. Um, that's kind of one of the guidelines, but you're really just helping the person navigate along their journey in a way that is in alignment with their values. Um, and so there isn't like necessarily very specific knowledge or advice that I'm, I'm always, you know, trying to give to people. It, it's, it's, it's more than that. It's, it's really about um, being a facilitator for growth. Yeah, I think you said it the best way of being a facilitator for growth. But another point you mentioned that I thought was interesting. So, cause you, like you correctly said, when you're working as an OT, no, there is that difference. Like, I'm the expert. You need to listen to me. This is for this person's yeah. health. It's not a goal that we're trying to achieve. They, they need these things. But then when you go into a coach, it's about, it's a different, you know, it's a different perspective. It's about guiding them. So I'm not yeah. the expert. I'm here to help. So do you, do you sometimes struggle to like make that switch? Like now I'm OT me and then now I'm like coach me. Yeah, <laughs> actually it's, it's been surprisingly um, not as challenging as I thought it would be. Um, when I'm coaching someone, it's, it's coach mode all the way, unless they're presenting with me um, a health issue that I feel like, oh, maybe I need to refer them out to do something else, like use another medical professional's um, help. Um, so, so yeah, it's been kind of um, easy to keep the two hats separate. <laughs> okay, oh, interesting, mm -hmm. interesting. But yeah, I can, because in my head, I'm like, yeah, I can imagine that would be quite, could be, could yeah. be, could be quite a challenge for some people. Yeah. Um, for my last couple of questions, May, and first, thank you so much for your time today. I've, it's been fat. I've learned so much, so I'm super happy, and I really appreciate so it. Um, I wanted to, I wanted to ask you, I guess, what are the less or how has your role as an occupational therapist how has that helped you in your coaching role? And I guess, what's the last few? What's the last message that you'd like people to leave with regarding you know relationships and self love? Um. That's a great question. I don't know that I've thought about it a lot, but I would say, yeah, occupational therapy as a profession and as a philosophy, we believe in enabling people to, have, to live life to their fullest. That um, is a phrase that has stuck with me. Um, and, and I guess with that philosophy in mind, I feel like that's, that's what I'm trying to bring into relationship coaching as well. How can we live our lives so that it's deeply meaningful for us and, and with purpose and intention? Um, and so to close, I guess, um, the words I would like to share with people is I encourage everyone to have a relationship with themselves 
you know, to, to develop that relationship and nurture it um, and, and try to, to cultivate that relationship with yourself, with loving kindness, with compassion, with um, forgiveness, with mindfulness, and, and to be able to look at yourself and, and try to, um, to find that authentic self, the, the real you, and so that you can bring that to, to the world. Yeah, I think that's a beautiful beautiful way to, to end it and i love the message about uh cultivating that relationship i think it's a key word you know because it's a work in progress and you're always going to have to you know work on it but getting to a level that you're comfortable with who you are and your authentic self uh, because like you said the more you know about yourself the more you're connected to yourself the better you will be for yourself and how you can show up in the world as well absolutely thank you so much Khaled. No, thank you so much, May, for your time. I really appreciate it. And uh, Lorna, if you're listening, thank you for connecting us. <laughs> I really appreciate it. Um, to everyone, guys, thanks so much for listening. As always, really appreciate it. And as always, hope it helps. Peace.